stay shroomed 24-7. Visit shroom.com for the best in shrooms. Stay shroomed 24-7. Listen to shroomed podcast. Visit shroom.com for the best in shrooms. Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to the Shroom Podcast, the podcast about integrating mushrooms and other psychedelics into your everyday life. Today, we have a great guest on our show. His name is Dave from the Dopey Podcast. His podcast is about sobriety and his story and other stories about sobriety. He's been sober from heroin for six years. He has done psychedelics in the past, is not a user anymore, but we talk about his thoughts on sobriety and the use of psychedelics. So please uh, sit back and relax and enjoy the show. Thank you. So a little about me, um, I, I go by Drew or Mr. Shroomed uh, for the anonymity, <laughs> like in your podcast. My job, my regular job is in human resources with a, a corporate company. So I just try to keep that as much disassociated as much as I can. Um, but I started this podcast just recently, probably about two months ago. Um, I've been experimenting with uh, psychedelic mushrooms for about two years now, and it's helped me become sober since December 17th. Um, so a little bit about my history, since you obviously there's nothing about me on the internet. I'm just a normal person, but so I'll, if, if it's okay, I'll give you a little story about my background. Please. Okay, cool. So I'm 36 years old. Um, I grew up in a small farm town. Um, grew up, my my mom had married uh, a wealthy man. He was my stepdad. He raised me. Um, he was like my dad. My biological father was a heroin addict. Um, he was hooked on heroin, you know, the whole time of me growing up. Um, so he was never actually with my mom. It was kind of just like a, an accident. <laughs> so, um, so he's always been in and out of my life in jail. Um, I talked to him whenever I did talk to him, he'd always make me feel like just upset for some reason, just make me feel guilty for something. So it was never good conversations. Um, until later in life, we started, you know, I started seeing him a little bit more, maybe like once a year, um, until um, 2016, 2016, I got married uh, in Las Vegas. And uh, so I had invited him to come out. And I was like, hey, I'll, we'll buy you your plane tickets, everything. Um, got him the hotel the day before. He was like, I'm sick, I can't go. And then that was just like, you know, a stab to the heart for me. And I didn't talk to him since that day until last year. <clears throat> and last year in June, uh, I got a call from his other son telling me that he's dying. So it's like, oh, shit. Now it's like, this is how I got to, you know, talk to him again. So uh, he ends up having liver cancer. Um, I call him. I just sobbed the whole time on the phone. Didn't even really get any words out. Um, that was the first time talking to him, you know, in probably three years since he didn't show up to the wedding. <clears throat> and it's just like all this emotion comes out and it's like, shit, where's this coming from? At the time, I had been drinking really heavily. Um, it was during COVID, so I was just like, I was working from home. Um, my job got too comfortable and... I started, you know, popping a bottle at noon for lunch and then, you know, going back to working at home. And it was just, it was a Hennessy bottle a day um, for probably a good, you know, three or four months. And then I actually started talking to my dad and he's telling me he has liver cancer. And I'm just like, oh, shit, you know, this is pretty ironic that right now I'm drinking heavily and, you know, and then he's dying now. So I try to make a date to go out there. Um call him on Father's Day when he's not answering and I'm like, oh shit. So uh and then sure enough the next day I get a call that they found him, you know, just in his he was in like a kind of like a halfway house thing and they found him in there, uh, gone. So that really took a toll on me just because, 
you know, I hadn't talked to him. And then when I do talk to him, you know, this is what's going on. So that really motivated me to do something about my drinking. And at the time, I had done mushrooms before, but I never thought about it in, you know, a way to curb another addiction. So right. I started re- started researching a little bit and just started hearing about microdosing and even macrodosing. So, um, which is, you know, you take a high amount to kind of lose that ego. And that was the whole thing I wanted to do is just try to reset myself and, you know, change that ego. Um, so my wife actually had a friend I got from DMT. <laughs> so we have a DMT pen now and I have these mushrooms. So I do a pretty good amount and just blast off, man. Like when they tell you blast off, like this is a blast off. Like I'm looking at the stars and looking at, and there's just geometric shapes everywhere. There's, I'm seeing the stars talk to me. I'm seeing the trees talk to me. Just everything's going in slow motion and it's just, I start bawling, I start crying, I start just, just saying, hey, we're, this is beautiful, you know? And then, um, I've always been a rap fan, like rap, rock, you know, hard stuff the next day. And from there on out, I'm listening to country music. It's like, what the wow. hell, man? Like something really changing me because I would never turn on country music. I would never listen to this stuff. And now it's like, this is, you know, a normal to me. And then the the drinking started going away. I was when I started doing the mushrooms. I was in a, um, I was in a um, like a recovery plan with my doctors. So I was doing the meetings um, over the phone virtually. It was a, like an inpatient, but it was over the phone because of COVID. So just telling my story and you know and having to repeat it over and over. I mean, I know some people it's that's how you do it in, in, you know, AA or NA. But it, to me, it was just reminding me of all that stuff. And it's, you know, they're big triggers to me. So it's like, it's making me want to drink more. And I feel like a lot of people were in there just saying the same stuff or just, I feel like they're just BSing because they want to get out of work or something. So I'm just not like taking it like as serious as I should. Um, so I started doing the mushrooms and then I kind of got out of that, that recovery um program and then I just you know started to do it kind of cold turkey and the mushrooms have helped just because it takes my mind off things and it really now I look at alcohol and I'm afraid to even touch it um I was doing cocaine I was doing other drugs um I was hooked on uh, painkillers at one time and just all that stuff is now like I look at it as a poison now now I'm looking at mushrooms have changed my perspective on that so that's where I'm at now um, so I'm, since December 17th, no alcohol, no other um, hard drugs, no narcotics, um, just the psychedelics. So it's been really a great spiritual awakening, I'd say. Um, and I'm just trying to, you know, take away that stigma for other people. I know in AA it's frowned upon, um, but I don't know if you knew that uh, Bill Wilson, the co-founder of AA, uh, was actually a huge LSD um activist. So he actually promoted it in his 12-step meetings when he was around in the 60s. And then it just kind of lost touch after that. But he did show studies that it did help a lot of the heavy, heavily uh, alcoholics kind of have a spiritual awakening. So I feel that it you know, brings you back to your, to your birth, to your normal when you were not taught all those you know, addictions or find out about drugs and I feel like you, you kind of like pure again, you know? It can be, sure. Like, I think that, I mean, I don't know. I know Bill Wilson uh, fucked around with LSD. I don't know if he promoted it. I know that he was looking for means to a spiritual experience. And how often are you doing, uh, are you growing DMT? How does that work, first of all? No, so the DMT somebody makes it because i'm close to san francisco so we, there's a lot of it out there so it's in a like a vape cartridge like a just like one that you would get like the 510 like for weed you know um so it yeah, just comes yeah. like that so you take three big hits of that and you blast off man um it's just right. it's amazing it's crazy yeah, that's when you start realizing and how like, often uh-huh. go ahead no, go ahead, Drew. 
I'm with you. Um, no, I was saying that's when you feel like you're really like, you know, we're not alone in this world. Like someone definitely is out there cr- creating this because it makes, I've seen colors on a DMT trip that I've never seen in, like, in my human life. So it's like, there's definitely some other stuff out there, man. It's crazy. Definitely. How how often are you eating mushrooms? So the mushrooms, I would say probably about like twice a week. I don't do it every day, but at least twice a week. Um, and then on the weekend, if like if we're out drinking and stuff or go to a bar, I'll do the mushrooms, and that kind of keeps. I'll do a, a bigger amount just to kind of have me kind of feeling that floating, you know. And that's where it's kind of that's where it's, it's kind of sketchy because is that a mind altering drug? Um, I mean, no, it's not going to like kill me, but it's like I'm cheating. You know what I mean? Um, well, it's not yeah. cheating. It's not cheating if that's not your program. You know, I feel like I love, I really enjoyed mushrooms, and I and I really enjoyed psychedelics for the most part. I, I only did DMT one time, and I loved it. Um, I don't do it because, I mean, also, do you smoke butter or no? Yeah, I do smoke weed too. Yeah. So I, I don't do it because, <laughs> right, right. You're, you're, you're super California sober because it's like, you're psychedelically California sober, but California sober also implies wine and you're not drinking wine. You're, oh, I mean, like, dude, it's like, I don't have a judgment about it. I, I also took... You know Ibogaine? Yes, I was just going to say that. Yep. You took that? Yeah, I took Ibogaine to get off heroin, and, and I had a sp- really crazy spiritual, you know, trip, but I didn't get off of heroin. Um, I don't fuck with anything because 12-step works for me, and it works for me because I give myself over to it very much in a kind of a psychedelic sort of way. You know, my higher power is very psychedelic. It's all about the universe and, and, and shit that's bigger than me. And it's not about, like, Jesus on the cross or God telling me something or anything like that. It's the universe. Right. And I think my higher power was very much informed by psychedelics in general. Like, I think a lot of my higher power was formed back in the day when I was tripping. And I would have some of the experiences that you're talking about. So I don't think it's a big stretch. I think for me, like, psychedelics also, like, fuck me up. I don't, like, do you have kids? I don't have kids, no. You do or you don't? No, I do not. Look, I think that if I'm tripping three days a week, my kids are going to notice. And it's going to be, it's like, tripping was also, like, kind of strenuous for me. Like, it wasn't relaxing. It was, like an arduous experience of getting from point A, you know, to point B through the trials and tribulations and whatever you learned or experienced during the trip. That's why, like, when you tell me that you trip three days a week, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, how long have you been? It seems like stressful. How long have you been tripping three days a week? No, I'm not tripping three days a week. I'm saying I'm microdosing three days a week. And then tell me what microdosing is like. I don't even know. I don't even know what it's like. What's it like? Oh, heck yeah, man. So, okay. So microdosing is when you grind up the mushroom and put it in a capsule, but you're putting only like point, I forgot, like point seven. So it's just a tiny micro amount. So a lot of people are also cutting that with like, um, you know, about like reishi mushroom, like turkey tail, um, other chaga, like other medicinal mushrooms, and they're using it in this capsule. So they're not even really, you're not even really getting the psychedelic effect, but you're getting like a, I feel like it is this like, um, I don't know, I've never taken eight, uh, Adderall, but I feel like, you know, I'm super hyper-focused, and I'm just, you know, I get to work, and then that's it, you know what I mean? It's a lot of people in the Silicon Valley right now, they're microdosing all the times because they're coders and it's keeping them hyper-focused, just typing right. away for hours. And, you know, people are just blowing. They're buying microdose pills, just a little capsule for like 25 a piece. When, like, in my town, you could just, I mean, you get like 10 for 25, you know? 
Yeah, I like the sound of it. I think I could use a little bit of a microdose. But um, yeah, I'm like kind of like I can't. I, I I like the idea of it. When we were kids, like uh, we would just we would be like, you want to get a little weird, and we'd like eat a cap or something, or eat a couple of stems, and be like, let's make things a little weird. And I bet you that was kind of like microdosing. I'm just in this zone of my recovery where I don't want to fuck with anything. You know, yeah, everything no, I, is going going well. So like, you know, I, I you know that movie Limitless? Yeah, yeah. So it's like that. It's like I would love I, I'd love to take Adderall. I feel like if I took Adderall I'd be like Joe Rogan. Like I'd <laughs> like my following would grow and my show would be better and I'd be able to focus on shit and stuff. But I jacked. can't fuck with what I've <laughs> Right. I'd be all jacked up, right? <laughs> I'd be in the sauna and shit. Um, but, like, I, I can't... I, I I was so fucked up, you know, for so long, and I lost everything that I can't take the risk. I got two kids. I have a mortgage. Like, things are going too nicely for me to be like, maybe microdosing would make it better. Like, I, I it, it was too hard to get to here. You know what I mean? Like... Yeah. Even just oh, hearing you understand. talk about it, like it, it sounds great, and I think I would really like it. I love psychedelics, and I could really use some hyper focus. I'm a fucking mess, you know what I mean? Like I'm, I can phase out so easily, and all I want is a little bit more energy and a little bit more focus. But I'd be scared to fuck everything up, you know? Yeah, no, that's hundred percent, man. I I know there's a lot of people that are like that too, and just have worked so hard to become sober that they just any mind altering, you know, drug may change that. Um But I know this but, guy, I know this guy, right? He has time, you know, he has like fifteen years. I just got six years. I know a dude who has fifteen years and I think when he got ten years he started dosing ayahuasca. Like in the in the hope that it was some sort of spiritual experience and he said it was. You know, and then I have this other friend, right, who who has like 25 years, and he was like, I think I want to start eating mushrooms, and we were talking about it, and then he decided he wasn't, he didn't want to risk it, so he didn't do it. Yeah, yeah, it's tough. I mean, I think that's the hardest part is just, you know, trusting yourself in knowing that it's not going to lead anywhere else. And for me, it was just, I mean, it was alcohol. It wasn't obviously not heroin, so maybe my risk factor was a little bit less. Um, and I was doing, wanted to do anything to try to stop because at that time, I don't think I would have stopped, you know? So maybe for people that want to stop, it might be good to try it out in the beginning, but someone that's already been in a recovery, it it definitely is probably scary. I think it's an awesome, like, route for someone who is apprehensive about 12 steps, hates the idea of it. You know, it's like, it's like there's so many, you know, like we kind of started touting this idea of an alt recovery movement where there are different ways out of recovery that aren't necessarily 12 steps. And this sounds like an amazing path if you're resistant to all sorts of other stuff. And this can open you up to, to something different, which is really the point. You were in a rut and you, and when you first did the mushrooms was the goal for sobriety. Uh, not when I first started, it was more, we like going to music festivals and stuff. So I was taking the mushrooms there. Um, but I was also drinking all the time. So I was just, the drinking is what caused all the bad, you know, decisions on my part. (laughs) So that was after I realized that that's when I wanted to try to just, you know, the mushrooms make me feel great and, you know, make me feel positive. So maybe just doing that on by itself could be you know, better than drinking. So that's how I kind of started playing with that idea. I think the idea of better than is an interesting idea in itself. It's like, I don't think anything is better than anything else except your quality of life, right? If your right. quality of life is something that you don't enjoy and all of a sudden you, you, you doze and you have this spiritual awakening, like why am I fucking wasting my whole life on alcohol? Like I am not achieve, getting the results I want. And then with this thing, I, I'm cause like you really do find 
this incredible, I mean, the psychedelic in general is just the most amazing thing because you're connecting with the infinite. You know, you're, 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 you're recognizing patterns that exist that you don't get to without taking them and, and seeing all sorts of just amazing shit. Um, so I think that's like, and it's like an incredible opportunity really. You know, it's, I, I, you can't argue with that. You know, it's, it's, it's like, I can be fearful, but I'm totally like happy for you. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, for sure. And the crazy thing now is the mushrooms you were probably taking back in the day were probably just like cubenses or something. And now there's like, I don't know if you heard of penis envy. There's like just all these different types and they look, dude, these mushrooms just look insane. They just look like huge not even like a regular mushroom with a long stem. These are like fat stems and it's just all one width up to the cap and the cap is just, they're huge. But these penis envy, do you know who, have you heard of Duncan Trussell? I feel like I've heard the name, but I don't know who he is. He's like a, he's a podcaster and he has a show on Netflix, like a cartoon show where he, he turns his podcast into cartoons. So it's, it's pretty tricky. It's pretty cool. But um, he's a cool story on penis envy mushrooms on YouTube. There's a, it's Comedy Central does this YouTube series called Trip Tales, where celebrities tell their trip stories. And I just always love these kind of shows. So he talked about the penis envy one and just, he barely took, you know, a micro amount, but it took him on like a journey where he just seen just fairies and Oh, just all kinds of stuff. But so th- my point is, these mushrooms are way stronger than they were, you know, back in the day. So you really only need to take even micro micro markers just because it's, it it hits you that much stronger, you know. I feel like in the like I I have like this fantasy of being old and and smoking weed, you know, like uh, after my kids are kind of like settled and adults and you know, and my career is definitely behind me and, and like I can just look forward to maybe some kind of retirement and in that fantasy I'm smoking bud, you know, and chilling. Um, and maybe there is dosing in that period of time, but I don't know. Like, I don't know. For me, I think it, it was a young man's game and I think I got to enjoy it. You know what I mean? Like I ate a ton of acid when I was in my 20s and I ate a fair amount of mushrooms and I ate a fair amount of ecstasy and I I only tripped DMT once, but it seemed like I, I I got a lot out of it. I don't, and I got to eat the ibogaine, which was insanity. Um, so so I feel like pretty. Oh, dude, my ibogaine story is insanity. It was uh, all right. I was uh, I was working as a television producer, and I had a heroin habit, and I I felt. Like, I didn't know how I was ever going to stop doing heroin. And I, I started kind of, I, I like ran out of money and I got scared. It got to a point where I was like, holy shit, I might actually be a heroin addict. And little did I know I was going to be addicted to heroin for another 11 years. But in my mind, I was like, I was getting scared. And I saw there was a festival in New York called Rock Against Racism. And at Rock Against Racism, they would pass out these flyers about ibogaine therapy for heroin addicts where they would take ibogaine, have a spiritual psychedelic experience and wake up, you know, cured of their heroin addiction. And I was like, holy shit, that sounds like the perfect way to stop doing heroin. And, 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 you know, I loved psychedelics and um, you couldn't get ibogaine in the States. They were doing ibogaine therapy like retreats in Mexico that were expensive and they were doing ibogaine retreats in Amsterdam that were even more expensive. And I found this company out of Belgium that sold every psychedelic you could imagine and they shipped them all over the world. And one of the psychedelic substances that they sold was ibogaine. And I didn't even have money. Like I was, I had money, but I spent it all on dope and it was this fucking Belgium company and I said to them listen I'm a heroin addict and I don't have any money can you send me some ibogaine and I'll pay you back after I'm off the heroin and they said yes okay <laughs> they they decided to front me ibogaine, front me ibogaine internationally but they said 
The only way that they would do it is uh, because they weren't allowed to send it to the United States. So I was like, well, why don't you send it to Canada? And me and my friend will drive to Canada and I'll pick up the Ibogaine in Toronto and then I'll take it in Manhattan. So they were like, okay. So me and my friend Justin drove from New York City to Toronto, which is like a seven or eight or nine or 10 hour drive, you know? And I was on heroin the whole way. Uh, I had a bad habit. And, uh, but I got scared of crossing the border with the heroin. So we stopped at this, this, uh, the last town in upstate New York before you get to the Canadian border was a town called Fredonia. And I'm telling you the long version of the story because I think it's no, funny. No, yeah. if you don't mind. Oh, yeah, it's no, I love okay. it. Okay. Okay. So uh, we stopped in Fredonia and I had, a, I, had a, I had like five bags of heroin left and I went into the rest stop bathroom and I hid it behind the mirror, okay, thinking this was a good idea that when we came back across from Toronto, I'd have this dope waiting for me in Fredonia because I was too scared of getting like locked up in Canada with heroin, like locked up abroad in Canada kind of thing. So we we drove to Toronto to, to I think it was Fed, Federal Express or something, and we get the package from Belgium and had arrived, and it was these sleeves of Ibogaine, which were these like pretty big, they were like six inch long sleeves that were three inches wide pouches, you know, plastic pouches stuffed with this brown powder. And I think they sent me like three or four of these sleeves and I was supposed to make tea. Um, we got, we got lunch at some like Chinese restaurant and we started to drive back and Justin was scared to death at the border. The Canadian guy says to Justin, are you transporting any fruit or flour? And Justin's like, ah, blah, blah, blah. and I was like, no, we're not. We're fine. Everything's fine. I had taped the Ibogaine to my ankle thinking like I was slick, you know? And, uh, and then we get to the gas station in Fredonia to retrieve the dope. And it was still behind the mirror, but it had gotten wet. So I wound oh. up eating it, eating the heroin. And I still got high and, and and then I went home and Justin was, and it said, you're not supposed to trip the Ibogaine alone, that you might like have a nervous breakdown or something. And Justin had had enough of me. So he left and another one of my friends came over, this guy, Devin, one of my oldest friends, and he was writing a novel. Okay. So he sets up his computer in the room and I take my mattress and I put it on the floor because I was scared I'd fall out of my bed. And I, 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 lay, I, I brew up the Ibogaine tea and I take the tea and I lie down on the floor and I had an electric piano in the room and my ankle was up against the stand of the electric piano. And I only remember that because maybe 45 minutes after I took the Ibogaine, I started to actually feel like I was spinning, like my whole body was rotating. But I knew that my ankle was against the piano, so I know that I wasn't spinning. But I kind of had this crazy, I don't even know, this, this crazy journey where I found myself in the desert, right, in like Egypt. And there was a pyramid. And I was just kind of there. It was like this out-of-body kind of mental experience. And then there was this guy, and I assumed he was an alien, okay, because he was blue. And he was blue, and he was an alien, and he had like a triangle drawn on his forehead. Um, and he was trying to explain something to me. But I decided that he was really boring, and I didn't want to hear about it from him. So whatever this blue triangle head alien was trying to explain to me, I didn't absorb any of it. I was just like, I got to get away from this guy. That's your problem. And, uh, <laughs> I know, I know, exactly. I think I might not have taken enough. I think that was like, I got to the door, right? And that was where the answer was. Because so many people talk to me about Ibogaine experiences, and they talk about men with triangles and blue people and all this shit. I think I didn't take the right dose because I had gotten to that moment, and I thought the guy was boring. He looked kind of like Freddie Mercury with like one of those thick gay mustaches. And he looked boring, you know, I was just not interested. And uh and Devin, my friend, was, was writing his novel on his laptop and I kept hearing the, the clickety clack of the of the keyboard 
and the, even you get so sensitive to the light oh, on yeah. it, right? And, and I kept kind of coming out of, with the clickety clack and the light of the screen, and uh, and then I woke up, and I was like, well, that was something. I remember how fucking weird I felt, and um, and the next day, Justin was like, I want to drive you up to the country. Uh, and we'll go to the waterfalls and we'll have like a good old fashioned kind of experience. And we went up upstate New York and we went to a waterfall and all I wanted to do is do heroin. And I think at the end of the day, I, I convinced him to give me money to get heroin and it was a total failure. And that was, that was my Ibogaine story. <laughs> See, you gotta go. I think you should have went to Mexico then. That might have worked. Of better. course, I should. I should have gone. I should have gone anywhere. I shouldn't have. I, I took the the ultimate cheap, the cheapo method, and I was like, "Give me some." And then I was probably no, skimping on the dose. That's such a junky way to think, you know. <laughs> you just want to do it because you know you could get it yourself, you know. Yeah, I mean, I I wish I had done it. I mean, listen, everything happens for a reason. And I, I love my Ibogaine story because it's so scrubby. No, it's you, awesome. You know what I mean? It's, it's so pathetic. Um, but I had another friend, right? Recently I had a friend who, uh, he's like, he's like manic depressive, right? Bipolar. He has serious mental illness. He's, he's very unhappy a lot of the time. And he, went on an Ibogaine experience with a shaman in uh, Costa Rica, right? Mm-hmm. And and the guy made all these predictions for his life. And and he walked away from that, and he's still, uh, you know, miserable. So it's like, it's a similar thing. Like, he, he, he talked to the blue guy. The blue guy explained something to him, but he wound up back in his other group. You know what I mean? He didn't change. So... I don't know. Like, like, do you ever watch these uh, these stories about ayahuasca and these sh- shamans and all that stuff? Oh yeah, yeah, all the time. I, I mean, I feel like they were. I, I feel like just like twelve step, it's not like showing up at a meeting or even doing the steps is gonna alter you with time. The the thing that alters you with time is doing it again and again and again and focusing on the lessons. And I think it's the same thing with, with the psychedelic. I mean, if you're microdosing and it's not fucking up your life, if you're, if you're learning shit and you're honoring what you learned and you're implementing the shit you learn on a day to day basis, then it's pretty similar. I think. Right. Right. Yeah. I think I just sound crazy. No, no, you're, you're totally right. I think it's along with that. It's just, a really deep willingness to, you know, want to stop. Like your internal has to want to too, you know, like you may be saying it, but like your internal just doesn't want to stop. I don't know if that makes sense, but. That's the whole thing. I mean, like that's the whole thing. I know that also a billion percent that I wanted to get high on Ibogaine and I wanted a side effect of it to be for me not to want to do heroin. I still love doing heroin. I, I didn't want to stop. I wasn't near ready to stop. So, like, you're right. The willingness is everything. Yeah. Isn't it weird, though? Because that, once like, you're willing, what were you going to say? What's weird? Oh, no, no. Go ahead. No, no, no. Please. I'm, I I wanted to hear what you were going to say. No, I was just thinking. I was, it was going to be off, off that subject. But it was like, isn't it weird that when you take the Ibogaine, like, everyone sees that the same kind of visions, like, it's just, I don't know. I feel like that's something deeper, you know, in itself, you know, like, where is it taking you guys? Yeah. (laughs) I I think, I think it says something about, you know, like, I don't claim to know like where people come from or how, you know, what our relationship to aliens are or what our relationship to the psychedelic is. But the fact that there are common images and experiences, it makes you think that there is probably a story that we just don't know about, you know, that, but like we can't access the story. That's why I'm not that interested in theories about that story because we can't know about it. We can't really know like the truth about it. Do you know anything about like why 
the Ibogaine Man is blue or the triangle or any of that stuff? Well, my only theory is, because I've heard the same theory with like DMT is, I mean, you are into that other dimension, like that that's that other dimension that everyone talks about. And a lot of people see the same stuff. They see like, um, what's that? It's like a, oh man, what's the one with a lot of arms? It's like a god to like the, like the Indian. I forgot what the name is, but. Like Vishnu they, or, or. Yeah, they see like the same vision of, of that. Like they'll see that a lot or they'll see the, the elves, like a lot of elves, they say like weird looking elves or they call them like machine right. elves. So it's like a lot of people see the same stuff. So it's like. And they'll what's the, the machine elf? What what is the what's the machine elf look like? The machine elf is like I I don't think I've seen them, but it's just like a conveyor belt of like moving elves and moving like like they're working on stuff like like almost like you know your Santa Claus elves, but they're just all because when I saw stuff, it was just the craziest patterns with the craziest colors, but in a do you remember the screensaver back in the day? It's like a snake that goes across your your screen and just like changes colors all the time. But it was kind of like that. It's just just a perfect motion, perfect form, perfect geometrical shapes. And then when I look at the stars, I see them all connecting and it's like they're all talking to each other. And that reminds me of like when they talk about the star people or like Anunnaki or how people had drawn out like all the galaxies before like on tablets and stuff. It's just, I feel like you can see that stuff when you're on some kind of psychedelic, especially DMT. Yeah. I remember one time I took a bunch of, uh, acid, like we found this good acid dealer and, uh, and we, and we didn't want to buy we, we were trying to buy a bunch of acid to sell and we asked for samples and, and they gave us, a bunch of doses to sample and, and I and I rarely took a lot of acid when I would trip at that point and I think I took like three hits or something and it was you know that they said it was this double dip water you know big hippie guy gave it to us and it was like that it looked good it was like red suns each dose was a red sun but but like maybe 16 doses would form a bigger red sun on the blotter and um so we each ate a bunch of them and we drove, we were living in Ithaca and we were driving upstate from Manhattan to Ithaca. And when, uh, it was the 4th of July and the acid came on really strong. But I remember when I, we got to a gas station in, uh, in Woodstock, I fell out of the car, like literally, like we were smoking a bunch of pot and we were tripping and everything. And I fell out of the car and when my hand touched the ground, you know how, like, asphalt has, like, you know, there's, like, weird, like, white spots and gray spots, and there's, like, just the, the ground, right. is, it's, like, you see this kind of whatever. When I was on the acid, when my hand hit the ground, it all became paisley, as though it had always been there, but I had never seen it before. And then when we drove home, I remember I saw a machine, just this sort of, you know, day glow machine just sitting there in the car, you know, perfectly operating. And it was that same sort of geometry. And, you know, it's like you're accessing something. I, I always thought that when I ate psychedelics and I was having an, uh, a psychedelic experience, I was accessing something that's there that I don't get to see otherwise. But it's always there. Right. Exactly. It's like, yeah, because I was walking through, like, just geometrical walls. I feel, it was, yeah, it was insane. Um, but it's like right now, right? Right now I'm sitting in my dining room, okay? And, you know, I haven't taken a drug. I haven't, I haven't tripped in who knows how long. It's been many, 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 many years. And and even just this conversation is is making my brain linger in that, psychedelic kind of moment and I know that it's like it's like when you shut off the lights and, and, and the black light is on and everything turns on or like I know it's in here right now you know what I mean like I know right. that that shit is on the walls I know what's there you know 
and I can kind of feel it, and I don't need to see it because I know it's there. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. no, exactly what you mean. And I like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Exactly. I I mean, like I loved I loved buds, but like I can really access what it is to be high, and not get high. Like I can feel it. I can I, I I can even do it a little bit with heroin. You know, I, I and I can do it with psychedelics right, right now. It's but it's like it's like if you do something enough and you love it enough, you can access it. You want to hear a funny story? Um, yeah, of course. You, you you know, uh, Danny Trejo. You know the actor Danny Trejo. Yeah, yeah, I listened to that one. He was like from Machete and this and that, and he. he and he was in Dust Till Dawn and a bunch of movies, and he was on Dopey. And I read his book for the Dopey interview, and there was this story that I wanted to talk to him about on Dopey that I, I, we had so many technical problems when he was on, I forgot to talk about it. But in his book, he said he was in prison, and when he was in prison, he was in prison with Charles Manson, you know, the guy who murdered all the hippies in California. Yeah. And Charles Manson, one of the ways he made money in prison was to hypnotize the inmates so they would feel high. What the hell? And they would pay him so that he would make them feel like they were stoned or high. And I think that's psychedelic in itself. It's accessing this thing that's already there, you know? Yeah, oh, heck yeah. It's like manifesting almost. But he he was involved in that a lot of the CIA trials in, on Hayden Ashbury though, where was they he? were dosing yeah they were dosing people with um, psychedelics. So what's weird is a, a lot of famous like I think Ted Kaczynski like a lot of famous like mass murders came out of that, and there's. Total, total bunch of conspiracies on what they were really doing over there, um, like hypnotizing right. people and stuff like that, and just creating monsters is what I heard. So scary. Yeah, no, it's super scary. But I was watching Joe Rogan, and he was talking about that that place and all that stuff. He's like, "Yeah, my wife's mother actually was uh, at that clinic too while he was there," and I was like, "Well, that's kind of weird." <laughs> That's crazy. I wonder. So was she? Was she was she was. It was in the the MK Ultra experiments. Is what you're talking about, right? Yeah, the MK Ultra. Yep. Yeah. That's crazy. I mean, all that shit is like, because I'm still like, I remember, kind of before I became addicted to heroin, I was so interested in that period of time, you know, and I would read about that period of time, and I just thought there was something. There was so much potential in it. And um, and narcotics are so the opposite of that potential, you know, like like the dulling of the senses and the making you feel like nothing or just totally comfortable is so the opposite of uh, of the psychedelic experience, right? Right. And I think that's what they want you to be more addicted on than anything. That's why it's you know so readily available for everyone. And now it's all the fentanyl, man. I saw the that about Michael K. Williams today. I was super sad, man. I know it's like it's like all these people, and there were a bunch of people that died this week. A bunch of comics, and yeah, um, one party. They were all at the same party. But it's like I, I mean I don't know. It, it it's fucked up because it's like if you. Like, I don't think anybody needs to be sober, right? I don't think anybody needs... I don't think anybody needs to do anything. But everyone needs to be aware that if they're fucking around with coke or heroin in 2021, there's a good chance there's fentanyl in it and they'll die. Like, that's just the fucking deal. Yeah. I don't think they're putting fentanyl in... I don't think they're putting fentanyl in the... In uh, psilocybin microdoses, right? (laughs) No, not yet. (laughs) Right. I mean, like, haven't you heard? Have you heard they're putting fentanyl in weed? Is that true or is that bullshit? I don't think that's true. I mean, if someone's wanting to hurt someone, yeah, but 
I think it's just another scare tactic. But definitely, all the coke and everything is screwed, man. That's a one good way to not to touch that stuff now. I heard I heard Michael K. Williams on uh, on Mark Maron's podcast, and he was talking about being sober, you know, and he was talking about how he had gotten sober, and he was talking about how amazing his life was. And I wonder if he was lying, right, or was he lying, or did he relapse, or, like, what the fuck is that? Or it's like Chris, you know, like Chris on Dopey, he just lied on Dopey for a long time, and it's like... You know, it's one thing to lie, and then it's another thing when the lie becomes part of your death. And it's like, that's why people just need to be cautious. Because, like, we all think we can get away with shit. And, like, poor my I mean, these guys, they didn't plan on dying. They wanted to get high and have fun. I wonder if Michael K. Williams was doing heroin or coke, though. Yeah, that'd be a good question. Well, that's like that Mac Miller, the rapper. I mean, his was fentanyl too and that was coke a lot of people don't think it'll be what was the what was the the death of mac miller story i don't even know it yeah so he got his buddy or whoever he was getting drugs from sold him some it was either bunk pills or bunk i think it was actually bunk coke and it had fentanyl in it and he ended up just dying but the same guy he probably got coke from a million times you know yeah, in the Daily News, it said that uh, that Michael K. Williams was doing heroin, but I wonder if that was true. Yeah, no, I don't know. No Fucking really sad. I, 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 it, it's like, uh, you know, it's also funny because, like, I love The Wire. Like, like The Wire in my mind is like my life. Um, and that's probably because I watched it so many times in these terrible periods of my life that I equate those periods of it with the wire. So it's like, I pretend like I know that guy because I spent so much time with him, but he didn't spend any time with me, you know, right. I think that's funny. And it's sad, you know, I mean like, uh, obviously it's like, it's, it's like, but that's what we all experience with him. Like I put up a post and everyone freaks out because we all felt that connection to that character and um when we spent time with him right mine was boardwalk empire too his character in that was crazy yeah it wasn't as good as omar was like the greatest character yeah ever. oh yeah no you're that show is like i i didn't like i really hated the last season of the wire like, the last season of The Wire really rubbed me the wrong way. And even Omar's death, like, just annoyed the shit out of me when the kid kills him. But That's what are you going to do? Nothing, nothing's perfect. Do you, and uh, so tell me, like, what's the goal with, with, with your podcast? What's the goal? So so um, so a little bit more about me. I I like to buy domains, so I like to buy... Just like I was buying them back like 10 years ago, just buying weed domains, just random stuff. And I was looking online last year and I found one. It was shroom.com. And it wasn't even that much. So I was like, okay, I'll buy it. And so I've had that for a year. And now I want to, you know, start the podcast and then tie it to the website. And then I want to start, you know, branding some merch, shroom merch. Um, I'm going to a psychedelic expo in Vegas, November 6th through the 7th. It's called the Meat Delic. We'll be out there and we'll have a, a convention booth out there. So just having more informational uh, pieces. And there's going to be a lot of good talkers, or good speakers. So I'm going to try to get some uh, podcast guests from there too. So, Dude, that's awesome, man. I support you. And anything I can do to help you, just let me know. Yeah, absolutely, man. I appreciate you hopping on today. Um I mean, that kind of, like, my whole podcast wants to be, you know, just even trip stories, just real stuff about psychedelics for everyone, you know, just kind of like your podcast. Nice. Yeah, I mean, um, it was like our podcast was a, was, a, was a fun, safe place to talk about that stuff until Chris died, and then it all kind of changed. Um, but, uh, but cool, man. I, uh, 
it's an honor and a privilege, and I'm glad that you asked me to do it. I love talking about psychedelics. Um, you ever listen to Funkadelic records? Yeah. Like the yeah, band right. or like just like, I mean, I'm like a fish guy. Like I like all kinds of different stuff, like jam bands. Have you listened to like Funkadelic, Funkadelic? Not partic- Not specifically, no. Okay, listen, next time you dose, okay, listen to Funkadelic. The record is called Standing on the Verge of Getting It On, and the song is called Good Thoughts, Bad Thoughts. That's a psychedelic record. I might use that for me. And the first Funkadelic, the first Funkadelic record, it's called Funkadelic by Funkadelic. That's like the most psychedelic record ever. Crazy record. Listen to that one. I love that you know so much about music, too. You're always talking about, you know, specific facts about bands and stuff. I just love it. You know, I just love I just love it. Um, I'm listening to, uh, there's this podcast, and I think you would really like it. It's called The Good Old Grateful Dead Cast. Um, and they basically, you know, take apart Grateful Dead records track by track. And they, uh, you know, like Owsley was like the dead sound recordist. And he also like manufactured all of the LSD in the late 60s in California or the best stuff. I think you'd get a kick out of it. There's there's one record, one podcast called Bear Drops all about Owsley. I think you'd get a kick out of it. I'm definitely going to check it out. Yeah, check it out. All right, man. Well, I think that was all I had. Um so, yeah, anytime you want to come on again, we'll definitely be ready for you. Nice. And and let's do, I mean, like, I'm too beat. I took my kids to the beach today. I'm too beat to do the Patreon. But I'll swing back yeah, and get yeah. you for it. Okay, for sure, man. Just hit me up anytime. Appreciate right on, day. Andrew. If you have Good any night. problems with, uh, dude, if you have problems with your sound, let me know. I recorded this. And that was Dave from the Dopey Podcast. I really hope you guys enjoyed it because his podcast is one that I listen to all the time and it has really helped me on my road to sobriety. So take a look over at his podcast on all platforms and tune in to shroomed underscore podcast on Instagram and add shroom.com to your bookmarks and then keep an eye out for merch and other new podcast releases. I hope everyone enjoyed and have a great night.